Before we get started today, my guest is Ben Lin from Gears and Gasoline, and it's a very clean, good episode until the last five minutes, so it's entirely fun. Great. I'm just putting this little baby disclaimer, little baby disclaimer that um, <laughs> it might get a little raunchy at the end for fun, for the sake of fun. But anyway, let's just get into it. It's a one It's a one-take. He came to Garage 42, and we got on the mics, and we went for it. So here you go. Tom, can you hear me? Yeah, that sounds really good. Yes, I will be doing the voice in my evil vizier. <laughs> my you evil. you really could be like a, a a cartoon character actor. I would love. I was telling her the other the other day. I would love to do voice acting. That's always been my dream job. Like, I've, right? if when I was younger, <laughs> I would always say like, if someone said, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" I would be like, "I just want to do voice acting." Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily. I don't have the voices you have, but I felt like I could do enough with what I had. Oh, Sorry about that. you can, Tom. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. That's a thing. All right. Yeah. All right. Our second episode of the Rebirth of the Respect the Drive podcast, <laughs> live, not live, from Garage 42 in Acton, Massachusetts. We're here with Whoa. Ben Lynn of Gears and Gasoline. Here I am. And he's seeing Garage 42 for the first time, David's new creation, which is... I don't know. Uh, is this what you expected when it's, you came in here? No, it's so much bigger than, yeah, it's so massive. It's like opulent, dude. It's, it's, it's not even, there's so much more space for Bugattis and Paganis and yeah. It needs to have that hyper car level of, of stuff, but it's, we're not there yet. Well, Do Bostonians really, Bostonians, you know, they're salt of the earth. Uh, there, you know, it's weird. We live in a really weird state where it is, it, it's a little bit of old money, but if you go into the suburbs close to Boston, what you'll find are all these neighborhoods that suddenly you see these huge houses and you realize every like hedge fund manager, mm -hmm. bank CEO, this is where they all live. Right. And we're going to pass some of them because if you go and do the little Christmas light peeping, you're like, oh, what did they do? It's mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, a, a four acre property in Newton or Brookline with uh, like, you know, four buildings on the property, they're 12, $15 million. Mm -hmm. And you're like, there's a lot of these. Yeah. And that's what's weird about it. So there are oddball collections here and there in this state that are less prominent or at least like less visible than what you see in Los Angeles. You go to Los Angeles, there's Bugattis everywhere. Exactly. That, and that's, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think that's the difference between your Boston money and your Las Vegas money or your Italy, you know, your Milan money. It's like, in Boston, you guys aren't flamboyant. Everybody who has some crazy collection behind closed doors in Boston is probably parking like a 200,000 mile Subaru Outback in front right, of their right, house. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just don't if, see it. In Boston, if you have $1, you can have one donut from Dunkin' Donuts. If you have a billion dollars, you can have one billion do uh, donuts from Dunkin' Donuts. I think that's probably accurate. <laughs> uh, I want to get into stuff with you because I met you through Grid Life. And um, we actually, right? I think we met on the podcast. Oh, right. On Backseat Drivers. We met on Backseat Drivers, Eddie and Devin's podcast, which was once Eddie, Devin and Ben's podcast, but you've since, um, you've since strayed from the fold. I've bowed out. That's fair. Yeah. 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 Podcasting is just, you know, as, as a host, not for me. It's hard. And I like it as a supplementary thing mm -hmm. where I can get a little more personal because on the videos, I always feel like you have to be more broad. You mm -hmm. have to be more 
specific to what you're talking about because yeah. YouTube just wants to know about the thing you're talking about. You yeah. guys have carved out a nice niche for yourself though, because I do feel like if you watch Gears and Gasoline, you get a pretty good vibe for you and Ben, Ben and Ben. Yeah. I think we try and do that somewhat intentionally because we want to reinforce that. And this is an overused term, but like the parasocial relationship with our audience where they feel like you've pulled the curtain back slightly on who you are. And then they have an, uh, I guess it's earned sense of knowing you because they've watched all your content. Um, but it's not a two way door of knowing each other. Right. It's like, they know a bunch about you. You don't know anything about them because you have a bunch of viewers that just watch your videos, but they feel like you're their friend. Right. And I'm sure that you get the same thing, but I think that there's a difference in content where if you want more polished style content, there's definitely like a, a type of viewer who doesn't want you to be like a vlogger or they don't, they don't want you to know a little bit. They don't want to know a little bit extra about your life. Like what we'll put in our videos where it's like a peek behind the curtain. They want it to be like a more old school entertainment style of, you know, Johnny Carson comes out and like presents. Right. And this is our polished presentation for you as opposed to, you know, you know that I have a sister or something like that. Right. And then it's like, Oh, I know Ben, I know Ben's family basically. You well, know? what I like about what you guys do is that a lot of times it's adversity that bonds or makes the video yeah. because you guys do crazy road trips. I mean, you drive, you're, you're a psycho. You don't really fly anyway. So it's one of those things where you do actually drive everywhere. Like your, your road trips, I think are often a little bit of a pipe dream, but also like, well, I'd like to go to Alaska anyway, and I'm not flying there. So why don't we, do a road trip or something. I mean, I don't necessarily know how we'll get into that in a little bit. I want to know kind of how you guys ideate and formulate and somehow find a budget to make these work. But like, uh, you, you can't fake the adversity. You can't fake like, of course, like a shitty car is going to break. Of course that's going to happen. Yeah. I don't think there's any like question about that. It's part of the process, but your reaction to it is authentic because you have cameras in the car and you've got, you know, Luke or, you know, whoever filming the thing with you. Yeah, so the the whole road trip thing for like began back in 2018 when we were first starting to work with Advanced Auto Parts as a as a main sponsor and we were just pitching them video ideas to their creative team like their influencer team uh and that okay that's me this time all right this is like the we're we're being really the shoddy worst on this the one. worst podcaster <laughs> it's okay you walked in the door and I was like here's a microphone let's go <laughs> uh yeah so we we pitch them the idea of, Hey, what if we take my Evo and Ben's at the time, Subaru Forester XT, um, and just drove on a road trip, let's say Alaska, you know, um, because we just wanted to do a fun road trip in our cars. And we were, you know, that's like such a, the idea was Florida to Alaska into modified, uh, enthusiast cars, my Evo was, you know, lightly modified at the time. It had like a tune and exhaust and all that, you know, like bolt-ons. And then Ben's uh, Forester, I think at the time it had actually been swapped to an STI engine, uh, which is, you know, not that different from like the actual two, I believe it was a two five that came in the XT stock, but it had been manual swapped to the six speed. Um, so, you know, if you're taking a stock Evo and a stock Forester, it's like, that's one thing. But then 
to up the ante to these are performance modified enthusiast cars um it kind of makes it more uh sketchy and that's where the interest comes in of like is this actually possible like this seems like a bad idea aren't these cars going to break on a ten thousand mile road trip like when you started doing these road trips were you guys already like full-time all in on this channel yeah that's what you were doing yeah we went full-time in 2016 i believe that's like right when i started picking up a camera and like uploading the first things i ever did okay being like how the fuck are people doing this yeah it's yeah. a lot. Um, what did it? What did it feel like when you got your first like big spot when Advanced came on? Was it like, oh, now we can do stuff? Like, where were you guys at with the channel health? Was it like, yeah, I mean, so we we had been punching above our weight, but at that point, you know, I think we maybe had a hundred thousand subscribers or yeah. something like that. So it was like production budgets for stuff was always extremely low. We're always doing stuff very running gun, and still to this day, it's like we don't do things our overhead for actual shooting is usually pretty cheap. The expense that we put on ourselves is like buying the cars that we use or lately we've been going to a lot of race events with grid life that are, you know, in, in California or whatever. So yeah. that's like thousands and thousands Just of dollars. Just fuel. I mean, and you yeah, get fuel like trailers, you know, towing and all this stuff like the, the maintenance costs and whatnot. Um, so, at the time it was like, I don't think that we had really even conceived of the fact that there were limitations on us because our, um, like idea of the content that we wanted to make didn't, hadn't even ranged out to stuff that we couldn't really afford to do beyond just like pie in the sky. Like, Oh man, wouldn't it be sick to make top gear type stuff? And that's all that the road trip stuff really is, is me watching top gear when I was like 16 and being like, uh, Let's just make that basically. You well, know? isn't that funny too? Because it, it's not even like low level Top Gear. It's actually what Top Gear does. The only the only difference because Top Gear usually most of the time uses like kind of shitty or average cars. There's mm-hmm. the, the rare ones where they're like, oh, we take an Aston and a Lambo and a GT3. Yeah. But like most, I don't of the think time, those are really the memorable ones though. No, and and it's the ones where they're like there's adversity there's inherent like you look at it and you're just like oh my of course bad things are going to happen yeah. and that's yeah. always fun the difference though is that you guys are you're not a crew of 10 land rovers <laughs> like and mechanics yeah. and producers it's like you and maybe two or three filming guys right yeah so sometimes it's been as few as three of us so we've done road trips like when we did the uh 48 state um, RX seven road trip where we drove to all the contiguous states in the U S on one trip. It was like 8,000 miles. Some of in, your road trips sound like if you like pitch that idea and we're like, Tom, do you want to go on a road trip? I'm like, that's the worst. That sounds yeah. like the worst fucking road trip. I've Realistically at worst, it's usually just so boring. You know what I mean? Cause you're just like devouring highway miles. Yeah. Getting 14 miles per gallon in an RX seven. How are our levels looking? It's okay. Looking I think good. we're okay. Check, I, check, I think, check. Yeah. I don't know. Eddie set it up. So if this all sounds like shit, then we know who to blame. We'll blame him. Yeah. But, but um, like on that trip, uh, that was just me, Ben and Luke. We didn't. Oh, no. What? No, we had a support truck for that. So we, we Ben borrowed his dad's old F-150 Lariat. It was like a 2010. And so we had a truck driver for that. And then just Luke uh, filming. But we've done trips like Florida to Alaska the second time. Yeah. Uh, and the first time. Both were with just the Evo and the SCI or the Forester XT in that case. Um, and then we had one camera guy that would just hop in between cars. That's so much work. 
Yeah. I don't know that people recognize, like when I see one of your road trip videos, the idea of getting a story out of a road trip is already very difficult because mm. the amount, like I've, I've done stuff where like, okay, sure. Like we're, I'm going to drive from here to here and I'll film some stuff along the way. I fucking hate it. It's yeah. like the worst. It's so hard to be on a mission where like, okay, I need to be here by a certain time or I have a plan or an itinerary and I need to put this camera on yep. and tell a story about it while I'm on the highway. And what I think is what really impresses me about what you guys do is that you're able to tell a fun story about what is otherwise often very uneventful. Cause you might have two or three like hiccups, right? Where mm -hmm. either a car dies, you get pulled over. There's something just like inherently like, Oh, that's the story. But to maintain some level of like what's happening when you're just driving 72 miles an hour for 10 hours, that's difficult. Like where does the storyline come out in some of those moments? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it is kind of in post-production, you're figuring out like what the, what the narrative through line is to keep the audience engaged. But I mean, luckily, like you said, the road trips are just kind of interesting. I think like, inherently like i mean it is hard to make them appear interesting in in video editing because video editing is hard um but like i think that the bar is kind of low when you have like a, a interesting enough premise like anytime that we do one of these big long grandiose road trips with interesting cars it's like okay done two-thirds of the work is already finished <laughs> now we just need to film and edit it because if you if you take the right cars um like an Evo and an STI or two FDRX sevens or something like that. It's like, uh, people are going to click because they're just interested in the cars. They just want to see content with those vehicles. And they especially want to see those vehicles being used for something like that they might actually do. Most people are not going to take those cars on a road trip. Like you're not going to take an FDRX seven on a road trip because they're horribly unreliable. Of course. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's kind of like a, um, what is, what is the word? Cut, cut out all this dead space while, while I try and think of the word. I'll just uh, play some music in the yeah, background. Yeah, I'll, just Jeopardy music. <laughs> what, what is the word when it... Vicarious. It's a vicarious experience of like, well, I would never do this with a personal car of mine. But if this guy wants to do it, I'll watch because I'm interested in FDs. I'm interested in STIs or Evos or what whatever. What do you get from re audience reactions about some of this stuff? Because you guys take some big risks in terms of the, the platforms that you play with. And, and I mean that in a way that it's not that the platforms are risky. It's that the audience who loves those platforms can be obnoxious can mm. be like know it all can be gatekeepy and yeah. sometimes you guys enter a new thing and like i have to get we'll get into this in a little bit too because i have to give you guys so much credit for like you choose cars that are enthusiast based but notoriously difficult to run or work on or keep running and you guys just go head first into it which means now i think at this point in your career you and ben are you are more knowledgeable about more sort of nightmare cars than like anybody <laughs> and it's so like humbling to see this uh, maybe i mean we've never really even dipped our toes into european cars yeah you do a lot mostly japanese stuff which yeah. is which is fine but what does like for example if you guys go out on a you know a rotary road trip or something yeah are the rotary guys like you idiots didn't yeah. know this but that's the the rotary like fd community is uniquely toxic in that regard where literally every single rotary tuner you talk to is going to tell you the other guy you talk to is a shithead and he doesn't know how 100 percent. like as much as people will say oh rotaries aren't black magic you could fucking fool me from how everybody talks about everybody else's there there does not 
seem to be one single consensus on how you're supposed to do stuff. I think that like there are general rules of thumb that are pretty, pretty tried and true. Like if you have an oil metering pump, um, then it's a good idea to premix, but the engine is also kind of handling it for you. But then you do need to top off your oil all the time. But then you'll have people say like, oh, you can't run synthetic oil if you're using the oil metering pump uh, or no, it's fine. You know, so like that kind of stuff is like, that's where you get into the weeds and then people have like strong opinions and it's like, it doesn't really fucking matter. We're making videos about it. People are getting to enjoy the cars, you know, and like maybe new people are like getting into rotaries. It, ben just case swapped his. So he just gets to circumnavigate that bullshit. But then there's all this other bullshit of people. Then at that point, you're kind of angering just casual fans, people, <laughs> people that are like, Hey, you should have kept it rotary. I don't fucking know anything about rotaries and I would never own one, but you should have kept it rotary. Not that that, and he bought that car case swapped already. Like God, forbid. it was like partially case swapped. Right. Yeah. What about, um, racing? Cause one of the things that like draws a lot of folks into your channel is, is, is your time attack racing. Mm -hmm. And then now subsequently into wheel, 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 wheel racing yeah. and both you and Ben are doing this mm -hmm. were you, with uh, varying levels of success. I, look, okay. I'm always impressed when we're out there and you guys, anyone like you guys put, I watch like the videos that you guys do at the great life events and I'm there mm -hmm. and I see the reality and I see the, the story and it's, Yes, of course, there's some drama in the story with music and this and that. But like the reality is like it, it's happening. It is actually happening. Were you all what what was the, were you doing any kind of time attack stuff pre YouTube or was that like no. an ex, like a good thing to film? Like, hey, maybe we should get into this. You can actually go and watch our very first time on track together. Um, like we went to our first track day together in 2018 for a YouTube video. So in my whole experience of racing, I've done maybe three or four track events out of a hundred or something that haven't been filmed. Wow. Yeah. So like I'm very used to being on camera while I'm like, like trying to achieve a real life result, but then simultaneously trying to achieve a content result at the same time, um, which is not necessarily always a good thing. You know what I mean? Cause like when you're on track, you want to be solely focused on what you're doing but then in the back of my mind i always have like what's the angle how are we portraying this in the video and stuff like that or like didn't did what just happened is that good for content or should i slide the car a little bit more because that's going to make for good video so that is on your mind yeah when absolutely you're, yeah. okay yeah, yeah. interesting yeah um but uh yeah we got into the time attack because we started filming grid life in 2017 ben just sent a cold call email to chris stewart at grid life and at the time grid life was much smaller than it is now. I heard about grid life from Matt Farrick because I remember the first grid life exposure I had was he was at like Midwest Fest mm -hmm. and it, it looked like just cowboy shit. Like mm -hmm. it was just a bunch of like hundreds of cars camping out and he was just, he was doing one takes on the track. Yeah, yeah. He was just going out and running the cars on the track. Yeah. And so in my brain, I'm like, what is this magical place? Because it felt like Forza. It felt like, because every other track experience I had ever heard about or been part of, was like so delicately strict mm -hmm. and you would be, you know, slapped across the knuckles if you were to step out of line. Meanwhile, here's grid life and people are like, yeah, go take my blank, my, my S14 Sylvia or whatever. You go take whatever yeah. and just go run it, go see how you like it. And yeah. it seemed insane. And it's, it's definitely evolved since then, but it, I think it's still maintained the vibe. I think motorsports are very much like a British European, uh, founded sport right? Like they come out of British motoring and stuff like that. And I feel like grid life is the ultimate 
uh, excising of the gentlemanly aspect of motorsports. And it's just like you said, cowboy shit. It's, it's like, the best. Yeah. It's so much fun. Everyone's happy. So I feel like, um, a lot of I, the big gatekeeper for me was etiquette. I was always afraid. Like I, I was so afraid of going on track because I was like, Oh no. Like what if I don't blend properly? What yeah. if I don't, you know, I was worried about like someone coming back and being like, you almost fucking killed me because you, Oh no, no, yeah. I didn't mean to, I didn't know. Or, the, you know, the like, average age of like a, and this is not to speak shit on any organization or anything, but the average age of like an SECA event or a NASA event, I think usually is like forties. Mm, yeah. Right. If for, generously, I would say forties, uh, if not older. And that makes sense because the people that have money to go to the racetrack and, you know, potentially wreck their car, if not wreck their car, just spend thousands of dollars going to the event modding their car, buying the car in the first place. Those are guys that are established. They're lawyers, they're whatever, they're doctors. You have to have big money, even to run a shit car. It doesn't matter. Your car can be free. It doesn't matter. A free car doesn't mean you can afford it. Yeah. Um, And then the the average age of the driver at grid life, I think is 30. Yeah. Oh, it's such a different vibe. Yeah. And it's so much more grassroots, which is so bizarre that I, I look at you and Ben in the cars that you're building on YouTube and think, wow, this is so unique and interesting. You go to grid life. You guys are just normal. Like mm. that's the weirdest thing to go to a place like that. And you two are other than the cameras are normal. I mean, we have some of the more boring cars at a grid life event. <laughs> yeah. Truly. That's yeah. what's so bananas. But I mean, it speaks to the, it's, I, I hope there's more out there than just grid life doing. I mean, there's not, but like, cause we'd be doing it. Um, yeah. But like in, in other countries, I think there are, um, what's that event? There's an event in like Poland or something like that. That's just like a bonkers. I think it's maybe drift oriented more so, but it's kind of, I've heard it described as like European grid life where it's just like an event that's complete. I, I wish I knew what it was. Um, but we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. And scroll down. There's yeah, someone yeah. screaming at their yeah, car yeah, right yeah. now. I've heard it's, it's crazy, but yeah, I mean, I think that that stuff's going to pick up in popularity, hopefully. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it is definitely a paradigm shift in um, in motorsports, right? Because like I said, I mean, still what? Probably the most popular form of motorsports globally is Formula One, I would assume. They have the most money behind them for marketing and stuff like that. Um, and that's uh, British drivers, Spanish drivers, French drivers, there's uh, the first Chinese driver in history entered the sport like two years ago. Um, yeah, that, that's like basically it. It's all European centric. Um, so it, it's all very gentlemanly and all that stuff. And you have to go through the regimen of go-karting and then single-seater racing and all that stuff. And then, you know, here it's like with grid life, it's just like, fuck it. Right. <laughs> well, what I like about grid life is it's not like they're just asshole cowboys who don't give a fuck. They're, they're cowboys who will help you when you're down. Like, oh yeah. Like nobody at grid Beautiful. life wants to win by default. Nobody yep. wants to win because, oh, they're they're They, they shredded an axle. Uh, sorry yeah. if that's a little too close to home. Um, <laughs> like nobody wants you to just like break your car so they win. Yeah. Like that's not the thing. And, well, and I want that sometimes. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's okay. But like, I do think, you know, I've been, uh, we, we've seen, for example, Eddie did an event with another group mm. and 
he had some sort of like massive oil leak. I forget what the failure was on the car, but something went wrong. An oil line busted. And instead of people coming to his rescue and like helping him repair it, they yelled at him for getting the paddock oily. Mm, the paddock. Yeah. Yeah, that's a... And it was like, how dare you, you asshole. And he's like, how... The car was just serviced. Like it was like, it's not like he had some ragtag car. Meanwhile, if that happened at a grid life event, I think that car would have been on jack stands in 10 seconds and he wouldn't have even known it happened. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it would have been like, oh, we'll help you out. Mm -hmm. And it, it and, and with Eddie, he really does need that help. He man. really needs that help. Corey's Corey's great, but she's only so capable. Yeah. And uh, she's got the pom pom. She's cheering <laughs> him on. And Eddie's just sulking. What about your personal life? Because what you do on the channel, I mean, obviously, it takes a lot of time. Um, you drive a lot of miles. I think we talked about this. You said something like 50 or 60,000 miles a year. Uh, a lot. Yeah. That's a lot of miles. Yeah. Yeah. How do you balance like what you, I mean, what you're doing for work, I assume is also your passion. Yeah. I mean, I think you would probably say the same. It's like getting to be in the automotive industry in any capacity is pretty sweet, but then to just be able to be like, so for me, I did video production in college. Uh, that's what I got my degree in and I love storytelling. Um, in any capacity, but I love getting to edit a video. I really love the editing uh, process. Um, what am I saying? The process, editing yeah. process yeah. of, of production. Um, so what, it's super satisfying to me to be able to like make a video from pre-production, which is like coming up with the concept, producing it, you know, l maybe literally filming it by myself, if not just overseeing how it's produced or being on camera for it and then editing it. Are you doing most um, of the edits on what you do with the channel? I, yeah, I, I would think I edit most of my videos. Um, and then we have uh, up, in, up until recently, we've had two guys editing for us. We lost Luke at the beginning ish of this year. He's or still alive. June. Yeah, yeah, no, we lost Luke to cancer. No. Oh my God. Yeah. No, no, no. Luke is still, he's still very well. We're actually doing a road trip in January. Luke's the best. Luke is one of the, for people out in the world, like if you're really like a Gears and Gasoline follower, you've seen Luke and his like fit and all that stuff. And he's out there, he's doing the thing. But like, man, he is just a cool, he brings up the vibe. Yes. Luke yeah. is a good dude. He makes everybody happy. He can do backflips. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. like a, he's like an ex like high school diver or something. So like he is. he's, just like a big old nerd now he's going to college he's getting his degree so um, yeah supposedly in engineering uh we'll see we'll see if he has the chutzpah to, uh, i hope he i hope he follows through with it he's yeah. just such a good fucking kid he, he's like, the man yeah it's fun because like it's wild the the when people see you guys at an event mm. the fans are like oh my god it's ben it's ben and then everyone who knows you is like oh my god it's luke, it's luke. yeah yeah i don't know fucking <laughs> talk to ben I like want to I, talk to Luke because yeah. he's actually a nice guy. Uh, no, you guys are very cool. Um, now, <laughs> wait, 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 hold on. I'm going to get back keep on. Keep going, keep going. Sorry, on, sorry, sorry. I, I was getting to talk about production and yes. it was making me wet. Yeah, yeah. You are sopping wet. I need yeah. to replace the chair. <laughs> <laughs> sorry for ruining your studio. It's okay. It's yeah. David's. We'll tell him. It's a business expense. David, your studio has flood damage. He needs the wrong got me talking about the production process of videos. He'll be like, it's a write-off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, we, have, we have, uh, until recently we had two guys that were filming and editing for us. Um, and then sometimes, you know, up until maybe 2020 when we got Luke, that was kind of the first time that we went full on to, uh, often getting to be in front of the camera, but both Ben and I will still film and edit. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's so satisfying to get to make videos and put them out about anything you know, like I've made videos about 
a bunch of different topics having nothing to do with cars for my degree or just for other jobs I was doing. I used to film wedding videos, just like, as you know, getting to put out any product that you've like worked on super hard. And it's like very much you, like you filmed everything, you edited it, you came up with the idea for it. And then when people see it and they're like, this rocks, you're like, Oh cool. Cause that was all my idea. So like, this is like my whole, this is the only thing that I would really claim to be good at. And you guys enjoying it is validating in many, on many different levels, but then getting to do that about the stuff that I've been passionate about since I was 16 that like my dad got me into that he's super into and then getting to be friends with all of you guys through that is like truly it's a dream job. When you are in video production, any video producer knows that when you're commissioned for something, almost every single time the client doesn't know what they want Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, I just I just thought you'd come and do it. And then you have to very quickly figure out what you're doing. Yeah. Um, Well, there's two ways it can go. Either they, well, so always they don't know what they want in some aspect. Sometimes they think they know what they want. uh, And then you have to explain why that doesn't work or make sense and wouldn't be good. Um, But uh, yeah, it's kind of nicer when they're just willing to listen to you about what you want to make. And you're like, I know this will look good. Yeah. Or I know we can't do it that way. Or I know this will resonate with your audience. Right? So before like, everyone yells at me for uh, not for missing like the obvious segue, let's talk about your dad and being 16 and being into cars. Like what, 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 I mean, it's like, I hate the question, like what got you into cars? But mm-hmm. like for me, I was, it was just like inherent. It was always there. And yeah, but like you mentioned that you were 16. So like what were you dying to get your driver's license or was no. it like after you started driving? Yeah. So I was already driving Yes, I was already driving. Um, I didn't give a shit about cars at all. I didn't know anything about them. Any coupe was a Corvette. Any two-door sports car, I thought, I was like, oh, that's a Corvette, I guess. I like barely understood the difference between models and makes. I can't wait to use that as the soundbite hook for the Instagram (laughs) reel about this. Wait, where are the cameras? (laughs) We we gotta have cameras in here. We hide them so that way. Oh, okay. So it's (laughs) it's like, uh, yeah. Wow, that's that's shocking to me. Yeah, no, I didn't know anything about them, didn't care. Uh, And it really rewired my brain to see things in systems the way that like cars are sold and produced and stuff like that after I got into that. But yeah, I didn't didn't know anything about cars at all. I didn't care. Um, What changed that? So I, when I was 16, uh, I got in trouble for sneaking out of the house. Um, and so my, my best friend of the time, okay, we get it. You were cool and had friends when you were 16. (laughs) Very few. All the car, all the car guys are like, well, I'm not cool and did not have friends. There's nowhere to sneak off to. (laughs) You, if you're 16 in a car and listening to this, you're cooler than I was when I was your age. Um, we told each other's moms that we were going to the other person's house genius how could it how where's the hole in that i've never Um, seen a sitcom in my life no dude seriously like this was our grand scheme and uh we were actually going to a house that uh girl that i was into was uh she was house sitting yeah i need that as a sound thing like Mm -hmm. the 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 studio audience oh yeah you need a soundboard where you can just start Eddie's program, most of these as farts, so I dare not touch. Oh, dude, let's start yeah. smacking them. May I? <laughs> I? I don't know if they'll turn off. I don't. Let's, <laughs> let's try one.
I, I don't I don't do have anything. a clue. I'm not talking right. this is like a soundboard of my nightmares. Well, Eddie set it up, so I guess that explains why it doesn't work. It may have actually done it, but and not, we can't hear it. Yes, that's oh, okay. that has been a, a case where they'll just this could have farts behind it the entire time and we won't know. <laughs> what if it slurs? <laughs> what if it's worse and it slurs? Oh my goodness. Well, I guess you know you gotta publish you it no matter these what. Before you put them out? No, nah, no, nah, I just send them. You just send it? Okay. No <laughs> editing whatsoever. No, nah, no, nah, it's it's live uploading. Okay, oh, so you, wow. so you you're going to this girl. <laughs> yeah so we went and uh just you know like drank and stuff like that and whatever Ooh. and then yeah yeah, yeah. and then so, so a real obviously, seventh heaven lesson to be learned a real yeah. wb wasn't the dad on that show like a, a pedophile? pedophile yeah pretty cool naturally yeah that i love how that works out it's that's just pretty, like poetic it's pretty incredible how that happens yeah. sometimes i know? mean not good that he was a pedophile no we but. we of course are are sorry for the victims that he yes. but like you couldn't write a better no that's that's like if it happened in a movie script you'd be like um okay, I mean, ob- this is way too on the nose right so anyway <laughs> your pastor father and your six other siblings and your friend yeah now you're at this girl's house uh, yeah yeah younger so, people are like what the fuck is seventh heaven yeah i mean i never book. watched it i don't know anything about that show it was like a hate but, watch for me it yeah all it was on and i'm so this is really i mean see this real. is the kind of stuff that i would talk about on the i know podcast, i wish we could, i had to leave that's <laughs> it's like hey <laughs> yeah Hey, it's uh, Advanced Auto. We just checked out your podcast and 90% of it was you talking about famous pedophiles from TV shows. And then the rest of it was just about Jessica Biel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had a guest on and you guys were talking about uh, an auto blow. So if all this to say, we're canceling your sponsors. We're definitely done with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this girl, you go to her house. Yeah. So Parents are none the wiser because you have a foolproof plan. Yeah, a bulletproof plan. And it, obviously this plan completely disintegrated and we got in a shit ton of trouble with all of the parents involved. Why do 16 year olds think they're so fucking smart? I don't even know if we thought we were smart. I think we were literally just like beer pussy. <laughs> like how, how can I achieve this goal? And then there are no repercussions like that never enters the thought process. Slash who could blame me if they find out? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm 16. What do you expect? Like, dad, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, so he was like, whatever. But basically, so my mom and dad were separated and I didn't see my dad that much. But then like my punishment for this infraction was basically I was just hanging out with my dad all summer, like helping him work on cars and stuff like that. Sounds like a book. Bizarre dude. Right. Isn't that like, I, I, I would wish I could go back in time and like examine the thought process behind why, like I didn't want to hang out with my dad, but it, it, did well, give us a much better relationship. But that's how the book would go. Of course, exactly. you don't want to go. You yeah. have to You have to be like, oh, man, this is going to be the worst summer ever. And then suddenly I learned a lesson and I love but my daddy. It wasn't like a situation where like my dad was like had like a gruff exterior and I'd never really gotten to like pierce through that and get to know him and find his heart of gold. And my dad is like the biggest like goofball in the world. He would still be and played by Clint Eastwood in the movie. <laughs> Yeah, I spent I spent the summer helping my dad work on cars and now I'm racist. It was a grand Torino and I hate <laughs> yeah. Asian people. Yeah, he taught me seven different <laughs> slurs for, for Asian people. Um, no, yeah. So so that was my experience. Uh, what were you working on? Like when you so the, you yeah, just what, bullshit. The yeah, shittiest just, cars. My just dad an oil and shit. Like well, so my dad is originally from Taiwan. Yeah. Grew up dirt poor. Okay. With like eight siblings or something like that. So everything to him is gold. He he grew up uh, riding bicycles and then mopeds are like the dominant form of transportation Fuck in Taiwan. Yeah. Yep. Tiny little island, no space for like nine or 13 million people or something like that. It's crazy. So 
they ride mopeds a lot. So my dad would ride mopeds, then rode some small displacement motorcycles. And then like they get hand-me-down cars because Taiwan doesn't, I don't know if Taiwan really has the Taiwanese domestic car market, or I don't know if they did in like the seventies or eighties when he was growing up. Yeah. Different time. Yeah. So he would just drive the shittiest, shittiest Fords or whatever that they got from whatever market. Yeah. And, um, so to him, all cars are great. Every car has potential. If, if the transmission is blown up, oh, it's easy. You know, we just swap the transmission. You know, if the motor's blown up, it's like, oh, just a head gasket. No problem. That's amazing. Yeah, right. So that was like the the thought process between, behind every car that we worked on. You know, so like um, they were all shitty cars. Like I think my dad was gave me an option between two cars as my first car to that was manual. And that was, no, actually just my first car. Um, and that was a 1994 Subaru legacy. That was just like a huge piece of shit. And like the starter worked 50% of the time and a Nissan Sentra, like I would say a 97 mm-hmm. that had like the full front windshield was smashed. So like two Japanese shit boxes that have both been beat to shit and both have like 200,000 miles. But the Sentra was like not even drivable because you could see out the front windshield. Yeah. So I went with the Subaru, which is probably why I hate Subarus today. That's fair. I mean, they do blow up. But uh, man, was your dad or is your, I say was, I don't mean was, is your dad the type who's like, I think I already know the answer to this. Is he, <laughs> is he like toolbox, every tool in sequence, we know where everything is, or is it like every shit thing everywhere? No. And yeah. he knows where the 12 yeah. millimeter like crescent wrench is, but exactly. you'll never find it. Yeah, and I mean, like, using wrenches is optional because vice grips exist. Uh-huh. Like, vice grips are his... Vice grips and JB Weld is how 90% of his car work, you know, is solved. Um, it so, totally makes sense that you own a DSM now. Exactly. <laughs> I own technically kind of two DSMs. You do, yeah, that's yeah. right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, if you're uh, if you're a perfectionist or if you're detail-oriented or something like that, like, if you're... If you want to keep everything clean and like have all your bolts, no, no extra bolts when you're done working on a car or whatever, do not let my dad don't work on a car with my dad because he'll drive you insane. Yeah. My dad's the same way. Like I didn't know, I like when I got into industry, I became like you know, a mechanical engineer. I became like an industrial engineer. You're a mechanical engineer? Yeah. Oh, I, so I, I used to, I used to like build factories. My job was wow. to make factories like smooth and yeah. like, okay, everything is in its place and everything has a sequence mm-hmm. and there's standard operating procedures. So that way if I build, if I have a factory in Turkey, it runs exactly the same as it does in Vietnam and, and you know, yeah. Taiwan or whatever. Yeah. But powered by Asian sweatshop labor. But and it was actually part of my job. Well, it wasn't like in my job description, but I did go to factories looking for like violations. I really? would I would I would ask ages in Bangladesh um, if I went to customer sites where like our labels were being shipped to because like uh, we made labels for the garment industry. So everything I made would go into like a pair of jeans or into a jacket or in a shirt, whatever. So I would often follow my products to the factories where they made these clings. Mm-hmm. And you'd look around and first you'd be like, hey, are the fire escapes padlocked? And, you know, it's a tinderbox. You've got, you know, 100,000 square feet and it's all cotton. Mm -hmm. And 
electricity that's like shoddily set up. So like, yeah. first of all, we get to die in this no, building. Nothing's grounded. Second, you start to learn to look at foundations and be like, hey, are there cracks in this building? Because they do collapse and yeah. thousands of people die. In that's these a huge accidents. thing in like India, isn't it? <clears throat> India, Bangladesh. Yeah, big yeah. deal. Um, Rana Plaza collapsed like right after I was in Bangladesh and then I was there a month later um, and they were still pulling people out of the rubble. It was <sighs> fucking crazy. Um, and it's really sad and upsetting, but at the same time you go into these places and you start looking around and you see safety violations, like messed up shit that you're like, Oh my God, they're going to cut a hand off or something yeah. and you'll call them out. But like once in a while you're like this one, how old is this one? Show me papers. Like this mm -hmm. is messed up. And it wasn't my job, but I always made a point because I just, I'm a human being mm -hmm. and I'm like, I don't really care about the profits of this company because I'm not sharing any of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're and just paying me a salary. Also like the, the labor of one 12 year old or something is not going to affect no, their profit it's margin. It's crazy. I mean, a lot of these places, like they don't even care, like they don't even factor the cost of labor into the product because it's so low. Yeah. Like, right. I mean, there's people who they work for a month, their salary is $80 for the yeah. month. That's so crazy. It's nuts and it's upsetting and it's messed up, but that's the world we live in, unfortunately. Isn't it? So, I mean, I'm, if you're cool with it, let's just let's completely go. derail. Sure. Uh, labels. That was your whole, mm -hmm. they just had factories that made labels. Yep. It, to me, hearing that, it just, the mind boggles. Every tiny thing, like the, I'm ha I have a can in my hand right sure. now. It's like a, you know, a what? A polar. Aluminum. Aluminum can. Yeah, it's an aluminum can. And the thing that like opens the can. Like the, the tab. Can, the tab. Does the tab have its own factory? Probably. Like how do we have space in the world for the number of factories needed to make all of these like niche parts. I mean, in, in remember like even my, like the label is not the smallest part of the atom. So you still have ink. So there's ink factories mm -hmm. that are doing pigmentation. Um, then you have all of the infrastructure surrounding a printed fabric label. So you'll have a machine that's a printing press and each part of that printing press needed to be created. Right. Then you have the plates, which are what you etch out. So that has the image of the label and you have to produce those. So yep. then there's a plate guy, there's an um, like a machine that creates those plates. Every There's so much infrastructure around everything. And when you start digging into it, when you look at a car, right? Oh, here's a Lexus, here's a Toyota, whatever. And you start digging down to each little piece, you get into the point where you're like, someone makes the lug nuts, someone makes the little fastener that the, the visor goes on to. And yeah. that's a whole industry yep. just on that alone. Yeah, the plastic clips that break. Yes, and it's bat <laughs> shit crazy yeah and it's upsetting because from a for me i i never some people look at industry like that and they get excited because they're really like capitalistic and they're like wow there's so much like there's so much industry to create there's so many jobs there's so much money to be made from this little piece right mm -hmm. it's like if you're the guy who makes the little reflectors that go on the highways holy fucking shit you know how much money that is yeah. if you make traffic cones and you're a big traffic cone guy there's a lot of money in that but then i look at it and i'm like wow look at all the waste look at what we're dumping right. in the rivers look at yeah. like because i could tell you what I, you know you go in bangladesh in these big industrial uh zones and you can look at the um there's like a little river that would run through our industrial zone and i could tell you oh they're doing jeans today because i see blue in the water or yeah. oh they're they're dying blouses today it's yellow um and you can see it yeah. and it's everywhere and it's yeah. like this is flowing directly into the food sources of the people of Dhaka. So then you go to, so you'll work all day in this industrial zone. Then you'll go back to your hotel and you'll be eating a meal. And all you're thinking is about all of the farmland that you passed 
along the way between the industrial zone and the hotel. And then you're eating and you're thinking, I'm eating the chemicals that I just dumped into the water. But they're cooked. Of course. They're cooked. So yeah, I'm probably, sure okay. like PFAS don't care. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, no, I, I, I totally feel you. I get overwhelmed thinking about that stuff. Like it's just too much to regulate. You know what I mean? Like it's insane and like it doesn't seem sustainable. Um, it, it, oh, it isn't. Yeah. Here's the thing. Like if we look at it from, and I'm, this isn't me being like an anarchist or anything like that. Our, our society is built on growth, but we have finite resources. You cannot grow forever. It right. is not possible. It is impossible. You have to evolve, right? So you can only grow so big before you have to get a new energy source. So you can only grow so big before you get a renewable source, right? And that those are things that are like inspiring mm-hmm. in the future, right? Because we're going to run out of fossil fuels. Or we're going to run out of forest land. We're going to run out of these things that like are just, yeah, there's tons of it. Of course, you know, it's the Lorax, right? Eventually it's empty and you're like, fuck me, we we biffed it. This mm-hmm. isn't good. But if you can harness energy from the sun, if you can get wind energy, if you can do nuclear in a better way, or if we can do nuclear um, uh, fusion instead of fission, then we can break the laws of thermodynamics and we can create Spit in energy. The eye of God. Yeah. I mean, yeah, straight yeah, up, yeah, like yeah. that is literally what that means, which yeah. is wild. But we're not there. And we are sitting on like the world we live in where we're just comfortably growing and growing and growing and giving our quarterly reports and yes, it's bigger, it's better, it's bigger, it's better, it's bigger, it's better. And it's depressing as fuck Mm -hmm. when you're actually boots on the ground because it's very different on Wall Street where you're saying, hey, here's your shares, we doubled your investment versus I am in a city where breathing is hard because of the air quality and the water is yellow because of the ink yeah. And the it people, might be yeah. Also. And the people are poor and sick. Yeah. And we're like, nice work guys. Keep going. It's just, yeah. So that's, yeah. that's just a tough, it's a tough, it's a tough pill to swallow when you see the, like the real industry, the real world. And I think a lot of people kind of find it in the clothing industry where they're like, Oh, I want to buy more st- sustainable clothing. That is not enough. I think you literally would have to regulate it the way we, you know, like a McDonald's now you go in and it'll say this burger has 670 calories. Like yep. They did that because they were like, you know what? We need to curb the obesity epidemic. People are overeating and they don't even know it. Right. Um, they need to, the, the only way to curb this with the clothing industry is to literally have an extra tag on everything and be like, um, uh, this this was made by slave labor or this was ethically made or this one's questionable. The only, because the only thing that would deter someone at point of sale is if you put a literal label on a pair of jeans that said slave labor on it. Mm -hmm. But if you have to research it yourself on some like, you know, UNICEF site, it'll never take, no one cares. Right. Yeah. I mean, also they just wouldn't sell something that said slave labor on it, right? Right. Kohl's isn't going to sell a pair of jeans that says slave labor. But I think that's like the only way I see it like to to actually kill, because slave labor is so cyclical, right? Mm. You'll have like Disney Corporation will pull out of a country. They'll say, oh, Bangladesh is bad right now because the labor force is abused. So they'll stop producing in Bangladesh. But then a year later, they're right back in there and they don't make a big fuss about it. Like, okay, good. We're slipping back in. It's much cheaper good and then there'll be a fire or a building collapse or human trafficking violations and then they'll be like oh my god we'd never do business in bangladesh again and that's how it 
It just, it's cyclical. So unless you had some regulation that says like the way you go into a food store and says organic, you would literally have to write the word slave on it. So that way they could say like, you bought the jeans with the slave tag on it. Like that's pretty, like, I think it would deter people because that's a pretty fucking rough thing to do. You'd probably pay the extra $10 to go to Calvin Klein versus like Zara or H&M. Yeah. Because like when you would get bullied in, in uh, like grade school for not having like eyes or whatever right like not wearing like the cool brand yes we need to get kids to start bullying kids for wearing slave made shirts yeah yeah so i think that what we can do to counteract in the car industry well no no no, just generally you know (laughs) like like on the subject you know what we can do to counteract like the unsustainability of all of the, the stuff you know we need to counteract the slavery with bullying ah yeah. yeah. Like, like strategic bullying. Yeah. It's like eco-terrorism. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. So. That's the, that's the story. That's the, that's like, that should be the headliner of our constitution. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty, that's the most American it, thing you can do. It's like 12, it's like Brad Pitt's character from 12 monkeys, mm. but it's 12 bullies. There you yeah. go. And I think we start with the children because who's the main consumer of clothing, right? I bought these jeans years ago uh, yeah i'm wearing pants that i've had for years right yeah kids are growing out of those shits every six months okay so we we start with them and that's where we plant the seed i like it yeah yeah next right. time you see a little toddler we start teaching him about go like, check his industry. Tag. yeah <laughs> prime away from his mother and check the tag on the back of his, his collar well how long did you work in like a normal Jo- I mean, did you ever work a normal job or are you always like yeah, freelance? Yeah. Like what was your normal well, what job? Define normal. Well, I, I worked like, under the table in a Chinese restaurant for five years. Okay. That's fair. Okay. Okay. Was that yeah. what you did before video production? Yeah. And so you just went straight from that to video production and freelance I had, kind like, of stuff. Some, some odd jobs. Uh, and like did yeah. anyone ever hand you a paycheck that was like from like a paid. payroll? Like a, I think I got paid cash. That's pretty sweet. It was sick. This, yeah. uh, this video is sponsored by the IRS. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't think they're missing very much revenue based on what I was making at that. It turns out they'd rather point. have your revenue than a billionaire's that's at this true. point. That's so true. That's yeah, where yeah. we're at. But no, no, that's that's interesting. Like, I like, I love talking to creatives who always were in the creative sphere. Like, mm-hmm. it's wild when you start meeting. Well, that's what I'm finding interesting talking to you right now is like, I don't know how you got from feeling sorry for Bangladeshi people to driving Ferraris for a living. (laughs) (laughs) I had to basically have a nervous breakdown. Like I had to, I, because I ended up, I went from like this run and gun crazy travel job to like padded wall cubicle project manager. And I am a very disorganized. So project manager is not a good fit for me. Um, I can do like one thing at a time. I can't do 12. Yeah. So that's why that's very difficult. And you have to, a project manager, everyone hates it. And by the way, everyone hates a project manager. Everybody. Because Ben used to be a project manager. It's the worst job ever. And it seems so appealing because you're like, oh, cool. Like I don't actually have to like do the engineering. I don't have to create the supply chain, but you're responsible for it. And yeah. everyone has to report back. To, oh, it's so fucking awful. Well, and then every time ben you ask still for still is basically a project manager just for using gasoline. Sure. And that's fair. That's just like, hey, Ben, did you do your deliverable? That's good. Right. That's yeah, fine. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of scheduling. There's a lot of oversight. Yeah. yeah. It's, sure. it's a respectable job yeah. just because yeah. it's very It's difficult. a very necessary job. But yeah. it's a, it's a shout it's out a, my project managers out there. It's just quite thankless. Yeah. Um, Everybody fucking hates you. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I eventually just got to a point where I'm like, I can't do this. My YouTube channel, I was maybe at like 
40,000, 30,000 subscribers when I decided I had enough money in the bank to live for a couple of years. And yeah. I was like, I got to try this. And I had, it wasn't like I was going in blind. Like so many people are like, I hate my job. Should I start a YouTube channel? I'm like, you're fucked. Yeah, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. But like I was, I already had enough money coming in from freelance sources because I was starting to dip my toe into Winding Road Magazine. I was doing photo shoots for like Bond Group and McGovern and some other little like things around locally. So I could pay my bills. You know, I had yeah. like a couple grand a month coming in, mm-hmm. which was like, okay, that'll pay my rent and that'll keep me fed um, and put potentially at least net zero on my expenses. Whereas then I, I slowly got to a point where I'm like, if I'm ever going to try to make a go of this YouTube thing, I have to just jump. And yeah. I did. I quit my job. It was the best thing in the world. And then the pandemic happened, which actually helped because then my friends weren't like doing things. I was afraid like, oh no, I won't have money. So I won't go be able to play. Yeah. No one could play. Yeah. So I went from 30,000 subscribers to like a hundred thousand in like a f- six months maybe. Yeah. And then it just continued like, and what was great about it was it was like a nice continuous growth. Cause some, some YouTube channels are very scary because you have a, a hit. You have like a, a spike. Yeah, spikes are scary. Yeah, because when you have a spike, you get comfortable for a second, and then you come down the other side of it, and it's like doing ecstasy or Molly. Yeah, you're crashing. You crash, yeah. and so you felt really, really good, and then you're like, oh no, we got to go back to where we were. So like a nice steady growth is always a more comfortable thing, but you want it to sustain. You want to be able to keep going. You want to keep making money. Um, yeah, there's a guy. Um, the the most notable example i can think of of a uh, a youtube channel that just hit a spike like just popped off oh man i i can't remember the name of his channel but he had a he still does it's a channel that makes like um just like comedic um skits basically but he did a thing where he uh was rotoscoping uh out like himself acting, but then he, by using like very shitty rotoscoping in Premiere Pro or Final Cut or whatever, um, he was able to like put different costumes on and like put different backgrounds and videos so he could make, uh, stuff that would typically have been hand, you know, animated like hand drawn or something like that. But then, you know, with that intentionally shitty production quality, that's like very in right now. Um, and his channel, I, I was like vaguely aware of him, when it was normal and then he made a video that popped off like crazy and he literally shot to like a million subs. That's Um, terrifying. So scary. Yeah. I don't think people realize like they don't know the fame they don't want. Like if you go from a nobody to a million subscriber channel in a week, yeah, I don't actually know what that's like being a child star. That's like not really <laughs> knowing how to deal with your own fame. That's yeah, I, kind I, of I, fucked up. And you have to try to you have to figure out, wait, what do I do? What am I doing to retain the audience? Because if you didn't have a style that was hitting with them before and then suddenly you have this one hit wonder. Yeah. Then you're like questioning yourself you're like, wait, what did I do right? What should I keep doing? How do I make exactly. my art and how do I stay true to myself without just being the person they want me to be? Yeah. And there's no like uh, like you're saying, there's no roadmap uh, and there's no history of like this is what the channel is like typically unless it's a channel that's been going for a long time and then you know it it manages to like hit a spike for some reason yes Uh, but and there's a pre-existing body of work with him i think there was a pre-existing body of work to a certain degree he'd been doing it for a long time but like yeah i mean it's scary because when you have that rapid expansion it's like fuck i hope these people I, i i need to make another hit 
you know, I need to keep feeding these people like what they expect, but then you can get burnt out because that's not necessarily the kind of content that you wanted. No, we see that a lot in this area. And that's the thing. It's like, I, I, I'm really excited that now if I look back over years of my work that I've Mm -hmm. published, it's all pretty consistent. Yeah. If you like this, then you'll like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. If like with you guys, if you do, if you're like, oh, wow, this Alaska road trip. Well, guess what? There's yeah. more. Well, so that's that's the thing I'm pretty interested in. I've been interested in it for a while now. And I like that you brought it up because it's like I think that what our channel suffers from is a type of content where it's like, well, if you like this, we got this. Our content has always been geared towards making sure that we don't get burnt out or bored, which is good. And probably why I still enjoy doing it so much. We really don't have formulas that we follow too strictly. Um, and also our, even in the things that are formulaic, we have build videos, we have grid life videos, we have road trips. No, you have a lot of you have a, your channel feels more like a network of collective ideas than a individual. Like we Doug DeMuro, this again, this again, this again, yeah. this again. So but, like Doug is a great example of like the opposite where it's like, if you like Doug's video about the Ford GT, you're going to like Doug's video about the McLaren SLS. Mm-hmm. You're going to like Doug's video about the Bugatti Veyron. It's like, that is his formula. And it's as a YouTube viewer, I don't watch car videos almost at all. Like genuinely, I, I like very rarely will watch car content. I just don't really enjoy doing it as a job and then going and agreed consuming that as entertainment necessarily. But the stuff I do watch, I'll get into it, a YouTuber. And then it's just like, Oh, I like that video. Does he make other videos that are just like this? Just like maybe a different subject or if it's the same subject, like a different aspect, but I want the same format. So like, I'll just let that stuff play, you know, it's like, it can literally auto play the next one. We're yes. good. Um, And that was something that I was, I've been trying to figure out how to make that something that like, is that a good fit for our channel? Because like our audience up until this point has been, uh, used to constantly varying types of content, which I think is like nice if you don't, if you're prone to getting burned out or if you're just a big fan of the channel, you'll watch whatever we make. So that's great. But like, I want to make content that is able to branch out and, if something hits, I want to have a bunch of stuff that people can keep diving into. With. I think you do though, because although there's a an, an eclectic grouping of things that you do, whether it's like, okay, these are our track videos, these are our build videos, these are our occasional review of a thing you've built or someone handed to you. There's enough of them that they can pick a theme. But yeah. the reality is you do have a common thread and it's you, it's you and Ben. Um, sure. I, th- that being said, I do not think that I am a particularly interesting person. You know what I mean? Like, and that's why it works because you don't think you're a particular inter. If you, th- this is the thing you are yourself. I don't want to watch someone who thinks they're very interesting. I don't want to watch someone who's really like, uh, you know what I mean? Otherwise yeah. I'd be watching like all these, you know, hot boy TikTokers. Right. Because they're, right. they're like, look, I'm hot and I can do this and I'm rich. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm is, out. Which is true and accurate. And I feel the same way about the people that I want to watch. I want to watch people that, that seem genuine. Um, that being said, the vast majority of people, I think, would very happily watch hot boy TikTokers or, you know, whatever. And they do. And also, I think it's a age range thing. You fall very much into the age range of our 
target yes. audience, like the, the audience that YouTube is telling us that we're getting, it's like 28 to 35 or something yeah. like that. But that's going to be a problem because most people that are watching YouTube are teenagers. Yes. You know? Well, and that's just a matter of like, okay, how specific do we get? Right. Cause if you're looking at a video and you're like, okay, this is a build video. If you're aiming it toward the 12 to 20 year old, I know it's like a weird demo yep. to say, yeah. but like it's less, you have to be faster and less specific. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And, yeah oh, yeah. I broke it. And it's, and whereas with the fast cuts, yeah, with well, the 18 to 34, thing. you're literally like, oh, it didn't work because this vacuum line broke. This is a common failure point on this engine. Yep. And if we just do this and this and this, you know, like that's a different. People have longer attention spans the older they get. It's yeah. a different conversation. But then like also like talking about trying to make types of videos that are very consistent that people can just let themselves get absorbed into with your channel. Um, road trips, great example. We have seven or eight road trips at this point. They're expensive as fuck to oh, make. Not even if they were fucking free, the time that exactly. goes into, that's not a sustainable yeah. thing to do. I'm thrilled that you do it. I'm thrilled. Like, but like even top gear would do one, one a, season. a season. Yeah, exactly. They can't do that. Yeah. So I think, I mean, honestly, just from my perspective, you guys do seem consistent. You like, I know it probably doesn't feel that way because you're like, you're in it and you're putting so much effort and time into the road trips to getting your cars to these grid life events and all that stuff. But like everyone loves to see like, unfortunately your flooded garage everyone wants to see some personal stuff where they're like oh that's the guy behind the camera which is really helpful because it it solidifies you as the guy that they think you are mm. versus like because that's the thing i can watch your videos i'm like yeah that is ben i can't i don't you know there are i won't i won't name them but i know a lot of we both know probably a lot of youtubers and I can assure you that a lot of them i'll sit down and have dinner with and i'm like holy shit i had the, you're that guy in what world are you that guy? In yeah. what world is that the switch you flip when that camera goes on? <laughs> Insane. Some of the most soft-spoken, cool, quiet dudes are the ones screaming at you. So what's really funny, uh, I think the the most, I don't know that many YouTubers like in the automotive, just generally, but like the funniest dichotomy of a YouTuber who on-screen persona versus off-screen persona is engineering explained. <laughs> Do you know Jason? I've never met Fensky. No. Okay. He, uh, you watch his videos. You're like, this guy, you know, to quote, to quote the, the John Mulaney joke, this guy's been sitting in a room eating saltines for 30 years. And he's then he very walked dry. Down on camera. Yes. Right. Like he's like so buttoned up. Like he has like the dumbest jokes when he does make jokes, but like this guy's a fucking nerd, right? In a very likable way. Yes. But then when the first time I hung out with him, he's like cussing like a sailor and just like so funny. Like I love him so much because I, when I actually hung out with him, I was like, you're like a wide open dude. Like you're a ton of fun. And then it's so funny to think about you being so buttoned up on yes. camera. I mean, like I, I, I used to be much more myself on camera. Mm. I used to swear a lot. Yeah. Like the yeah. fact that I ever used the words, oh my goodness on camera, which yeah. I do a lot because I'm like, oh my God, I'm sick of like, the 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 evangelicals saying i used to be able to watch your videos with my children but you took the lord's name in vain and i'm like fuck you you're like the only reason i'm not literally sucking dick on camera is because i would get demonetized yes 100 <laughs> because you know what if i could just suck dick on camera and get paid it would be so much easier turns out you can't you can <laughs> i have good news for you tell. Oh, fuck did you, you just probably make a ton more on only fans blew my mind <laughs> i honestly i've thought about it uh, everyone's uh, you know and i'm not uh, not like creative I'd, everyone's I'd, thought I'd about sub it. everyone i would sub you'd, you'd sub for me 
Uh, well, no, no, no. What do you call it on OnlyFans? I would not be. No, in no. Your I concept. think no. I know what you're saying. You, yeah. Maybe I would. Maybe I would be in your concept, but I want to be like in the background, being like, "Yeah, Tom, my, suck that dick." You know what's funny? <laughs> get fucked. Get fucked. <laughs> no, I think my biggest fear about OnlyFans it's not like being seen. It's not yeah. even like physical crit- criticism because I'd be like, "You come on and do it." You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and like, let's fucking go. Uh, but <laughs> but it would be like I would have. I'm not a um. I, I would it would be with my current relationships mm-hmm. and I'd be like oh this is sad we're not dating anymore like if I ever broke up with someone that we started an OnlyFans with yeah. it would be much harder than just like oh they were in the passenger seat of this car while we did a video it would be like ah, <laughs> oh, I loved the chemistry you guys had fucking on camera and now we don't have it anymore yeah and I'm alone and I have to be sad for a little while and like maybe the sex would be a little robotic for a little bit yeah. Or maybe it would be solo content and people wouldn't like it. And that would make me feel very sad. I see again. I think you've got to set that bar as low as you can <laughs> to, to start off. But honestly, dude, like, yeah, it would be tough if you lost, if, if you, if you have a guy with a huge dick on there and it's like, everybody's watching. Also, this is why I don't podcast. Yeah, that. this is great. I um, love that. This is where this ended it, up. It like if everybody, if you, get, <laughs> if you build viewership off of that guy's dick and then you guys break up, it's like, well, yeah. What if we find out that they, they were there for him and not for me, or, or at least part of the audience, right? I mean, you, you're beating off on cam, dude. You don't need anybody else. Don't need nobody. You don't need anyone. Solo else. content creator. So, actually, oh my god, you just blew my mind. You know yeah. why? I realized that, like, as a POV driver, I am literally the like jerk off guy. Like, I am the solo porn content creator, but for cars. Yeah, exactly. I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> I'm just enjoy. I'm laughing. I'm having fun. Yeah. I'm giggling You're as I'm driving. You're the Bill Burr of, <laughs> of driving cars and or beating off on wow. camera. <laughs> I am the solo OnlyFans artist of POV driving. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Okay. There you go. I can't give you any helpful information about uh, how to build a successful YouTube channel, but only fans I've got ideas. All right. This is a funny thing and we'll, we'll, we'll call it after this cause we've done an hour, but my, my, my favorite thing is this conversation. I feel like comes up at a lot of like press events where like mm. we're having dinner with a lot of content creators yeah. and every YouTube content creator has a dream or a fantasy of how they would make a very successful OnlyFans. Hmm. I feel like everyone knows what they would do. Yeah. And how they would do it. That's or how they would advise someone it's to so do it. It's so depressing to me that I'm not even original about that. No, I no, it's not that it's not original. <laughs> it's just that like we 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 are not different. Yeah. We are the yeah. same. I mean, you just you have, you know, your brain gets wired towards analytics and you're like, I don't know. I mean, putting a Putting an eclipse, a uh, mid-species eclipse in a thumbnail is the same as, and me going like that, it's the same O face. It is. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the same oh my God. face of shock and surprise when I, when I, in my thumbnail about my shitty car as it is in the thumbnail next to the huge dick. Yeah. So. That makes sense. I, I think we don't have, there's not so much different between, between us and them let's yeah creators are creators Creators creators. we're just trying to sell our content so all right i want to get you some time on the simulator before we get out of here and garage 42 has an insane sim so yeah it looks motion rig and all that yeah we're gonna i need what i need you to do what i really need you to do is i need you to like knock eddie off the leaderboard i don't think i can do that i'm not fast on sim you want other ben for that possible but we'll see we'll see what what about this what if going back to the OnlyFans thing what if you get that motion rig and you attach some dildos to it I will run it by management. <laughs> see, see if David would be. David's gonna hate the ad read I'm about to go. Garage 42 simulated <laughs> sex. 
right across from the Respect the Drive podcast studio. Oh my god, that's what we need. There, you, dude, it's a simulator in more than one way. That's the that's the thing. You could dr- you could keep it as a driving simulator just with dildos, like that South Park episode with exactly. uh, Mister Garrison, where he creates the it, yeah. and they're like, wait, wait, do I have to put this in my ass? Yes. And he's like, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're like, wait a minute. <laughs> Dude, you could be turning laps at Laguna Seca while getting fucked in the ass by, uh, uh, you know, the motion rig. I I hope that if I ever have um, Fenske on, this is the exact turn it takes. It would be so much dirtier, and it wouldn't take as long as it did on this show. I love it. I He's love hilarious, it. dude. Thank you so much yeah. for dr- hey, driving up here for New Year's. Yeah, with dude. Us. This is inc- I'm so excited because we're we're just kicking off. We're about to go party. We're gonna I'm go have so a whole weekend psyched. together. I'm so dude. You're gonna show me the sights and sounds gonna, of Boston. Oh yeah, we're gonna do the fucking Freedom Trail, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're gonna go up to New Hampshire, and we're gonna hot tub and sauna and chill and watch some movies and drink some bevies and yeah it's gonna be a nice time I'm pumped i got you a little christmas gift really you, yeah that's the nice we made it yeah oh brie. I, I concept me execution brie thank you brie i gotta yeah. say that on the air that's amazing yeah. so thank well you. i pray to god she never listens to this that's with okay. the fucking shit we just said but she literally listens to us do this live like playing games i like, guess our monopoly yeah. games don't get much oh better. dude okay so i did get um we bought a, it's called Drinkopoly. Oh God. It's Monopoly. Okay. So first of all, I'm going to have to do it. Like I'm going to have to hide whatever I'm drinking. Cause like I'll be dead after three shots. We need to uh, cut the portions that they want you to drink into thirds. Yeah. Cause like, I don't think you get around the board without being alcohol poisoned. Yeah. It's fucking insane. I don't know if it's a game for like Vikings or what. Um, it's but, made by the Scottish. David yeah. will be fine. Yeah. David will be fine. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it's a waste of thirty dollars, is what it is. I can't believe I paid that, but because we could have just come up with the rules ourselves, we could have just um, bought thirty dollars worth of alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have been, been a better like, way to the s- beer instead of having a fucking board game tell me how to drink. <laughs> it's gonna be funny. Uh, well, you know, we'll we'll see where it goes. We'll yeah. see where it goes. But thank you so much for coming on here. Um, and you know, for the I'm just gonna end it. I'm not gonna do like some post bullshit. So thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to go watch the latest video of the Yellow Countach. I drove a 1989 Lamborghini Countach, which was a dream of mine. I've always wanted to drive that car, and it finally made it to the channel. We've Your got, job is so much cooler than mine. What the fuck? Yeah, but you are a race car driver. You've got a cute little suit. and You, you could be very easily. You could have a much cuter, much littler suit than mine. A little tight little <laughs> suit. <laughs> a tight little suit. A tight little suit. And then that's OnlyFans content. Baby. Oh, we double down. <laughs> we can make more money with the same content. Exactly. Oh, my God. See, this is where I come to find this out how to you get. Come. This is where I come and full stop. (laughs) Don't forget to respect the drive. I'll see you in the next one.